So today we're going to talk about stream restoration and uh, other fun stuff in the reforestation of the county on this episode of Enviropod. Hello there, I'm Scott Coco, and you're listening to Fairfax County's Enviropod, where we discuss the amazing things that all the folks at the Department of Public Works and Environmental Services do to maintain and improve the environment here in Fairfax County. Uh, today I have with me Megan Fellows with Stormwater Management. And uh, hi, Megan, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. So tell me a little bit about what you do here in the county. I am a project manager with stormwater planning. Uh, so my job is to help improve the water resources and quality of life in, uh, in the county. And I know I have talked to Dave Anglin mm-hmm. about some of this and was out knee-deep in uh, the Backlick Run stream restoration, freezing our asses off out there. Um, so tell me a little bit about, do you do similar stuff that he does, or, or what do you do? I actually work a little bit upstream. Uh, so Backlick is one of the third or fourth order streams. So that means a lot of different streams have contributed to that size mm-hmm. um, of, of watershed. Um, I work upstream in the headwaters. So more where you just have the, the water running right off into the first order stream. Um, so this would be uh, in neighborhoods, um, in between houses. Uh, a lot of the contribution to the streams that I work in are um, drain pipes from people's roofs or, um, you know, a culvert from under the street, uh, very much higher up in the watershed. What are some of the main issues that you have to correct or that we're dealing with that is causing damage or that needs to be restored? So uh, we have a combination of factors going on in the county. Uh, 400 years ago, we were forested. Um, we didn't have things like impervious surface, which would be driveways, roofs, streets. Um, all of those, when they get rained on, the water just washes off and then goes into that headwater stream. Um, in addition, the last 10 years, we've had so many more rain events that have come so quickly. So maybe 100 years ago, we would have an inch of rain that would come in 24 hours. Now we have an inch of rain that comes in an hour. And that amount of rain so quickly that the earth just can't absorb that much. Mm -hmm. So that also contributes to runoff. So between those two coinciding events, our headwater streams are in trouble. They're being more eroded. They um, become less stable. um, And they're just putting pollution downstream, causing more and more and bigger problems. So by the time you get to Backlick, you have a really big problem. Talk to me a little bit about, is it more the, the infrastructure with so much water moving and eroding places away, or is it the pollution? How is that? How are you handling that? Uh, well, we have a wide variety of tools in our toolbox to address all of those. Um, ideally, we would use something more like a soft fix, like 
if you had a lot of water running across your property, you could plant more trees. You could add uh, more vegetation between you and the stream. We call that a riparian buffer. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of scientists out there that have found benefits of, you know, a 10-foot buffer between you and the stream or, you know, a 50 or a 100-foot buffer. Each of those provides a different environmental benefit. Um, you know, I also work more on the harder fixes ends where we actually have to go in and, and re regrade the stream. So we create a new channel in a different shape than what the erosion has caused uh, that be, is stable. And then we add uh, vegetation and rocks to armor it in place so that it doesn't erode out. So we prevent erosion in two different ways. One, preventing that stream from eroding further. And two, by protecting all that runoff before it gets to the stream um, or preventing the runoff from getting to the stream in a polluted way. So you have a vegetated buffer to keep the pollution in the buffer before it gets to the stream. And then when you get to the stream, you prevent the erosion happening in the stream, which would also send pollutants and nutrients downstream. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to envision... Um, I do much better with paper and pencils, so I can draw <laughs> pictures. Understand. Um, are, so are we looking at, like, subdivisions where a lot of homes, would that they back up to streams and uh, you know so I grew up in the Orange Hunt area um, very close to the Huntsman Reservoir and so there were a lot of creeks that were you know back behind a number of of the subdivision areas that we would hang out in um, and then when a hurricane would come it would completely flood out but it, it didn't tend to go too close to the homes is that something you're looking at now that, that there's so much more uh, heavy water flow that's coming through there um, and correcting that kind of situation? Yeah. So uh, Fairfax County led the nation really in protecting those stream buffers and stream valleys. And most of those are actually in public parkland. Mm -hmm. um, over 10% of the county in, is in public land. And then um, that is that's mostly protecting those streams. And in large part, yes, they weren't developable because people knew when a hurricane would come through, it would wash those houses out. Um, so it created this network of great open spaces for kids to grow up in and roam around. And um, unfortunately, we protected those streams, but we didn't protect upstream of those in the watershed itself. So um, one of my other projects is reforestation in the watershed. So if you can keep the water upstream of the creek, then it's not going to flood out so much. A hurricane is, you know, a very infrequent event. So sure. you're, you're never going to be able to build enough to prevent a hurricane from causing damage. Um, and perhaps we wouldn't want to go that hard of an infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the smaller events that are causing erosion, um, we focus on those um, in, in restoring, recreating a stable channel so that it can handle that amount of rain and a, a more typical storm event. Can you give me an example of where that watershed might be? Where are some of the, the um, where are some of them around the county that, that we could point on to on a map? Um, so we have 35 major watersheds in the county. So every bit of land is in a watershed. Hmm. Um, that water will flow 
downhill from there into the nearest um, stream channel or stream or um, a lot of our infrastructure means it goes into a pond or a culvert or something before it gets to the stream. Um, But anywhere you are standing in Fairfax County, you're part of a watershed. I see. And so – you know, an, an individual could look where they're standing and go, well, what could I do to make the rain go into the ground underneath me versus running off? And sometimes if you're in an impervious area, you can't. I mean, you can't rip up a road to make infiltration happen. But you can go to the edge of the road and you can see, oh, where is that water collecting? Um, is there a way of, of creating a more uh, a surface that infiltrates or brings the water into the ground versus making it run off? That's interesting. I, I, as a producer here uh, with Channel 16, I cover a lot of the Board of Zoning Appeals meetings, and people tend to want to try to build bigger driveways or basketball courts or full patios in their backyard getting rid of their lawns, and that has to be zoned and approved in a certain way, and you might ask why, and I know a lot of it has to do with the water runoff and, you know, then they have to get stormwater barrels or, you know, they do other things. It, it, there's such so much of a, pardon the pun, the ripple effect uh, that goes on. And, and I always found that was interesting. And is that a challenge that you have to have to look at too? It is because I'm not into policy and <laughs> all of those things. I'm I'm an ecologist by training. So I am really looking at what's going on in the ecology and the system, the natural system. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, people should have the right to be able to have their basketball courts, but they also shouldn't be polluting the stream behind their house either. So um, I know there's there's no one speaking up for the little macroinvertebrates or the bird that flies through and uses it as a temporary migratory, um, you know, in the spring and the fall. Um, but those once those forests are gone, once the stream has ripped out and and that's one of the negative effects of the um, streams, not only the erosion that they're producing, um, but they actually undermine the trees that are next to the stream channel and cause those to fall into the stream. Um, so eventually we lose all that forest that we were trying to protect if right. we don't do the stream in the first place. So um, as an ecologist, I look at you know trying to prove the ecology and – the zoning cases I leave to the policy people and, and zoning. And <laughs> well, I, I find it the ripple is not that the ecologists are concerned with it. I find it um, important that the policy is there yes. to protect the ecology and homeowners. It's just something they probably just don't think of um, or even um, I, I'm sure businesses think about it a little bit more, but – you know, maybe if you have a small business that you're creating and don't realize that it's going to have that kind of effect when you want to add to your parking lot or right. have an addition or something like that, where does the water go and how does it get absorbed is something that's not thought of as your first instinct. Right. Yep. So I, I guess and, – and let me ask you – you mentioned the the rain events, especially in tw- the summer of 2019. It was really one of, one of the worst ever, right? Mm-hmm. The problems that we have in Fairfax County's ecology is it a combination of the urbanization that we are continually adding um, 
more roads, widening roads. Every median strip has either a strip mall or a townhome on it. But combination with climate change, is that something that you're observing? There's, there's the combination of the effects that um, any one stressor on an ecosystem isn't going to cause you know that ecosystem to be in trouble. But you start getting multiple stressors. So, you know the the urbanization, you know, widening the roads picks away at the edge of the forest. So the forest gets smaller. The rain comes more frequently and in a different pattern. So the stream gets wider. And so slowly you sort of pick away at the resiliency of the ecology. Um, we, we live in an urban forest. Um, we have an extraordinary tree canopy that we're trying to protect. Um, but underneath that canopy, we have um, houses and streets and shrubs and birds trying to nest and foxes trying to chase squirrels. And all of that's going around, um, on, around all of us. And um, we're trying to make that ecology happen. Um, we call it kind of a novel ecosystem because mm-hmm. this isn't something that, you know, before people, we had this system where people lived so closely, so densely around nature. Um, and maybe sometimes people don't like having that so much nature right that close to them. Yeah, there's um, a fox that lives right behind my fence and that uh, has that terrible yelping scream. The, the terrible morning. yelping scream. <laughs> I've heard of foxes stealing newspapers. Um, you know, no one likes the deer that keeps eating its hosta. Um, it, living in an urban forest, uh, we don't like to necessarily think that we're part of that nature. But mm-hmm. all the decisions that we make have that ripple effect. Yeah. It, tell me, how, how long have you been doing this with the county? It's almost March, so I've been here almost four years. Um, I took some time off, and I had been at the Park Authority before that. So I've been at the county probably 12 to 14 years total. How did you get into uh, becoming an ecologist and getting into looking at it in an urban setting? So uh, I moved uh, to Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, in elementary school in the 80s. And um, I don't know whether this was just, you know, the Clean Water Act and the Chesapeake Bay was so poor quality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people remember that it used to be a lot worse than it is. I do. Um, and so that kind of hit me right at that developmental stage where I was looking at, you know, you know what do I want to be when I grow up and um, learning about wetlands and estuaries and how important ecology and all the different factors, the abiotic or the non-living factors of an ecosystem and the biotic, the plants, the bugs, the fish, the birds, um, how those interacted just seemed to be the most interesting. Um, I'm pretty tangible, so I was more interested in doing something about it than just studying it. Um, So that sort of led me to this weird field called restoration ecology, which I didn't know at the time, but I went to one of the only graduate programs in restoration ecology. Um, and Where's that? That was out in San Diego several years ago. And <laughs> <laughs> since then, um, restoration ecology has sort of grown as a field. And I feel very lucky to be working in the field that I you know, intended to. And then what's the favorite part of your job? Ooh. Um, I guess solving an impossible challenge, um, right? We we live in this urban ecosystem. We have a huge number of constraints. Um, you know, the sanitary has to still flow, even mm-hmm. though it's right through the stream. 
you can't flood people's houses. That's very wrong, um, <laughs> uh, despite what some people might think. Um, you know, the the birds and the bees all have their right to the trees and the ecosystem, and so balancing all three of the very real values that we place on what one little piece of land has to do um, can seem like an impossible challenge, but uh, we get to solve that question um, not every day, but a lot um, and frequently. And each time we do it, we try to do it better. What are some positives in, that that are going on right now in restoration and in the county and something as an ecologist that has been doing this for a while? Are, are there things that give you hope? Certainly. Um, yeah. When I first started at the Park Authority, people were saying, oh, you can't do anything about invasive species. Um, And we have more and more people that are working on invasive species, being aware of the program. Um, Private citizens have started their own organizations to promote native plants. Um, We just spoke about that on our last (laughs) EnviroPod. You know, you know, starting off going, oh, you know, we can't ever do anything about invasive plants to the fact that people have taken on that issue and have really um, made huge strides locally, um, right? I mean, it's it's the human component that's going to provide that hope that we can change, we can learn, we, we can modify our behaviors, um, and, you know, those will have beneficial effects because ecology keeps functioning whether humans are involved or not. And so it's going to heal eventually. Um, We just need to push it towards the healing phases versus um, maybe some of our more traditional approaches. So talk to me just a little bit about if Joe Resident is listening to this, um, what are some of the things that they can do to help um, or that they should know about as a homeowner or a resident or, you know, just someone that – what effect that they have on on the environment and the ecology and something that they can do to help improve what's going on. Sure. Um, they can uh, do – an assessment of their property first, right? They can figure out where their water goes. If there's anything they can do to increase infiltration on their own property, um, uh, rain barrels that can help prevent the water going off their property, they can reuse. Um, They can look at their energy budgets. They can look at where their trees are planted. Um, Putting a tree in the right place can decrease your home energy use. Biking to work instead of you know using cars. Everybody can decrease their their own environmental footprint, which will cause less stress on our ecosystem. Um, and then they can get active in their HOAs. Uh, one of the first projects I did um, with the county was uh, reforesting riparian systems that didn't have their buffers anymore. And um, we went through. We did all the parkland that we could find. Uh, but there's HOA properties that could have more trees. Um, and there are a ton of organizations that will come out and help you figure out what kind of trees to put in place. Like, I'm sure probably the organizations you mentioned last mm-hmm. week. Plant um, Nova Natives. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> Can we plug them again? Yeah, um, sure. uh, so, uh, and the Northern Virginia Soil Water Conservation District can come and help you with your water issues. And, um, you know, 
it just takes, you know, one person in a neighborhood to start moving and switching and showing a different way. Um, and, you know, little by little, all that extra water will start being trapped upstream in the watershed. And um, you know, by the time we come in to fix the stream, um, that stream will be able to stay healthy because it won't get any further degraded because that water's staying upstream. It won't get any more water than um, which what it, than what it was getting. One of the goals is to keep the water at a consistent level so it's not overwhelming the stream's capacity and causing erosion in, in, in areas where there is too much water. We certainly want the water going into the stream, mm -hmm. but in a directed format and where it still can be absorbed by the ground when we do get these um, smaller water events more often. Is that... Perfect. I wish I were that articulate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to have a better assessment because it, it's something that folks that are just going about their everyday lives don't don't think about. Mm -hmm. it, it's just interesting when you have to consider all this stuff, especially when you go and you're standing in the Backlick Run and the unbelievable amounts of uh, – uh, silt and land that has just gone away and washed mm -hmm. washed out um, because of the change in the modification that that stream has gone through. It's it's quite breathtaking when you saw the difference in the, in that stream. What are what are some of the immediate challenges or any new challenges that you're working with right now? Well, I think some of the um, newest challenges is because we've had these wet years and the dry years and the wet years and the dry years, um, our, our canopy trees are, are um, suffering. Um, we also have emerald ash borer, which took out um, a lot of the ash trees, which were the primary dominant tree in our riparian systems. So um, I think as people's identification of ecology and knowledge of trees and forests grow, um, there's a little bit more pushback against removing some of the trees that exist to fix the stream. Um, but as a restoration ecologist, my job is to put the ecology back. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, building an understanding that the, the new trees that I plant will be more adapted to the current ecology that's going on, the current climate. Um, the trees that are growing now um, are all relatively new. Um, you think during the Civil War, um, not, a, not a tree was left alive because they had to burn them for fuel or shelter or um, for, for transportation. They needed all of that wood. So none of our trees are more than 150 years old. And mm. if they grew 150 years ago, that was a completely different climate than what they're dealing with now. And so it's no wonder they're not able to adapt to this wet, dry, wet, dry, super, super variable environment. So the trees that we put back in, the forests that we're rebuilding, um, will be better adapted to dealing with um, more diverse conditions. And, and so uh, the challenge is understanding that we're building a more resilient system um, at the expense and cost of, of some of our tree canopy 
But uh, within 10 years, that tree canopy is restored. You look at some of our older streams, and you can see that ecology does come back um, when we build it correctly. And um, that that can be a challenge because we're taking away people's last stream valleys that they grew up in and ran around as a kid. Right. Um, but if we want stream valleys for their kids to run around in, then this is kind of what we have to do. Any recent uh, success stories or certainly a project maybe you started a number of years ago and you go back and take a look at it and you're really proud of? Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I'm I, – I think I can always think I do better. So I don't know that there's always going to – there's going to be something that I'm um, – there, you know, there's there's certain trees I remember planting and, and, and knowing that they're still there. So at Rutherford Park, there's a bunch of sycamores that mm-hmm. um, that I remember, you know, talking with Orsanga, another one of our partners, as we were planting them, and um, those are still there. And uh, some of my reforestations, um, you know, they're only a couple of years old, but uh, the trees are over 15 feet high, and they've grown. And we use the measurement called diameter at breast height, which is the diameter of the tree at four and a half feet up from the ground. And some of those are, um, you know, five and six inches, and they're only a year and a half old tree. So um, there's there's little there's little positives all along, but um, I'm kind of of the opinion I can always do better next time. So, uh, yeah, not to, not to say that, you know, anything's awesome. But well, nothing's but really bad. The but whole <laughs> county is your garden, right? And it, it's our ecosystem. That's got to feel good. Ecosystem. That's got to feel good going back. And and I'm sure after a career of this, going back to some areas and seeing the success of the growth in, in a few years is going to feel really good. Yeah, that's that's the idea. That's great. That's great. So where can folks go and get a little bit more information about um, what we've been talking about today? Uh, so stormwater planning has a, a really good web page where you can look at the watershed management plans, which were created about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of good background information about the various techniques and tools we can use to um, help streams recover and help the watershed recover. And then um, all of our current projects have project pages. Um, so you can uh, search on the interactive map and click on the dots next to your house and you can find out what kind of stream restoration is happening nearby. We have um, a lot of projects, and probably no one is much more than you know five or ten miles from a, a stream restoration project. And um, I, I am going to do that this afternoon. I mean, you don't even have to go to a project; you can just go to a stream and take a walk. Um, yeah. And to to reconnect to the fact that we have this great resource um, that was protected. I mean, we weren't allowed to build on them. We weren't allowed to put them into, you know, pipes underground um, for good reason because we want to be connected to the ecology and we want that nature happening. So um, sometimes we forget, especially in winter, just to go take a walk Mm -hmm. and and see where the stream is. And, um, oh, yeah, it was down there. Especially this winter because we haven't had much snow, so it's not <laughs> and a lot of rain <laughs> flooding. So, <laughs> well, Megan, thank you, Megan Fellows. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was. Uh, I sometimes you're not sure who's coming in here and, and exactly the conversation you're going to have, but certainly the stories of what people do and 
Thank you for making Fairfax County your, your, your garden and helping the ecology here. really appreciate that. And, again, you can get more information on the stream restorations at uh, fairfaxcounty.gov. Um, you can find uh, DPWES and the water management plan. That would be a great place to go. And he would, we have to say, if you have any projects that you have to do that involves any asphalt, concrete, or you are having challenges with your water runoff, that's something that you can get help with. Thank you again, Megan. I really appreciate it. And thanks to my friend Irene, who helped set up these great interviews here for Fairfax County Enviropod. That's it for this episode of Fairfax County Enviropod. If you want to hear more, you can find us at fairfaxcounty.gov slash podcast. You can also hear it on the DPWES website, iTunes, and SoundCloud. If you have any questions, comments, or an idea for a topic to be discussed on the on Enviropod, you can email swpdmail at fairfaxcounty.gov or call 703-324-5821. Once again, thank you so much for joining us. And that's it for this episode of Enviropod. I'm Scott Coco.